Angels, hi! We did it. <laughs> we are here and we are live. We've done it. We've done it again. We've done it though. again. Um, it is 80 degrees oh, here in God. New York City today. What? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds too warm for, for April. Not, well, I mean, it probably is, but not when things have been so dark and cold and frigid for so long, Miles. Oh, so you're into it. You'll mm-hmm. take it. You accept it. Mm-hmm. Well, I embrace it. I love it. It's great to be here with you. I'm pumped for this chat today. Me too. And I am going to have to work very hard to rein it in because I have a lot of thoughts. Well, I want you to not work. I think that's going to be part of what we talk about today. Well, <laughs> deal. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Okay, everyone. So a little context. Miles and I were talking about the feeling that many of us have, and I think especially queer people, but I also think it's a human experience of the idea of all the years we lost. And for queer people specifically, I think, you know, if we grew up in contexts that were not affirming of who we are and who explicitly sort of told us we needed to conform to standards that meant we denied our basic human longings and identities, Uh, that we we lost years to that, years we could have been exploring relationships, exploring a sort of developmental process along with our peers, um, maybe not going into missionary work to try to be good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... I think that is both a very real experience that many of us lament and we feel that sense of loss. And at the same time, I wonder about the idea of time being lost or wasted. Mm -hmm. And I wonder um, when we step back a little bit and think about the ways we frame time, um, it seems more like a we talk about spending time, we talk about investing time. We talk about time in ways that feel very tied to money mm-hmm. and well, people very even say that, right? Like they say time is money. Yes. Mhm. So I think um when we think about wasting or or losing it Uh, we might be thinking about there being sort of like an ideal state that we're moving toward that is sort of like arriving that peaks. And I think we all know that's not true, and everybody then feels like they're lacking. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what our cultural norms are set up to make us feel. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep working harder and striving more to this idealized state. Um, So that's a sort of big introduction, but... I think it's really worth talking about because I myself give into this thinking and I myself will give into that feeling of loss. And I think that it's something we need to interrogate and potentially reframe. And I thought, who better to reframe that with than you, Miles? (laughs) Well, it's great to be here um, and to be talking about this with you because... I, yeah, on, on one hand, have been a person 
who has described some of the time I have spent in uh, different communities uh, as quote-unquote wasteful. Mm -hmm. um, I have been somebody who has uh, described, you know, certain years of my life as lost. Mm -hmm. uh, and for a very long time, I, I did that, I think, as um, a necessary part in my journey to name the, the very real injustice that mm -hmm. I experienced um, through, through those uh, <laughs> years in mind. And I th so I think that that is a, a warranted part of using those words to describe a time in your life where you found yourself um, feeling coerced um, to uh, pretend to be something that you were not, to assimilate uh, into a, a kind of ideal that just was not going to be possible for you, um, to describe... Yeah, any situation where you were being actively discriminated against and marginalized, I, I think that those, it, it makes a lot of sense to me to describe those sorts of experiences as wasteful or lost um, for that reason, because it helps mm -hmm. you to say what happened to me was wrong, mm -hmm. um, that there was something frankly, immoral about what was going on in those spaces to make me feel the way that I felt and to have to do what I had to do. Mm -hmm. um, my, you know, survival adaptations um, came from the result of a psychologically or, you know, religiously traumatizing time and experience. So um, I just wanted to say that up front. Yeah. Um, to the extent that folks have experienced that, again, not even just religious communities, but even uh, non-religious, I think, communities experience this as well, because there's very few, um, you know, ex lived experiences in the world that are free from um, things like homophobia and racism and sexism and um, ableism and so forth. So, um, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. That seems to me an important idea to note up front, that um, being able to say that was wasteful of my time or that, that was time lost is both cathartic and I think a necessary step in being able uh, to heal is, is to first say, like, <laughs> I was wounded. Mm -hmm. um, so, And yeah. to I'm glad you're starting there because... I do think one of the ways that we avoid or sort of um, put off the healing process, delay it, is by bright-siding yes. and by denying and neglecting. And so um, the this is going to be something that I think we hold in tension, mm -hmm. some uh, sort of disparate ideas that are both true and it's really important to be honest with ourselves and to grieve and to um yeah name what you're talking about that sense of loss and mm -hmm. so in nuancing the conversation and expanding uh, our imaginations around 
time in our processes, I definitely don't want us to go into like a bright side mindset that mm -hmm. denies the the reality of the sad and hard. So thank you for starting us there. Yeah. Um, with with that being noted up top, though, I think we can sort of move into um, some of these other ideas that we had uh, chatted about offline here. And so I would love um, if maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, what you stated in the opening regarding um, this kind of notion that uh, there are uh, <laughs> wrong decisions that people could can make about life and the trajectories that they're on, this concept of uh, there being a, a particular desired timeline we should be moving along. Could you talk a little bit about, about that and where you think it comes from? Yeah, I can wonder aloud. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of this, a lot of our imaginations are hugely shaped by the quote unquote American dream. And I think that applies to relationships. It applies to uh, the kinds of work we do. It applies to the ways, the living situations we choose, education. It applies to most of our lives. And I think it's, I've thought about it a lot in terms of uh, marriage and singleness and celibacy. And there's sort of a timeline that we're told that our lives will, the trajectory of our lives. And it's basically after high school, you go to college and you graduate and you start your career. And when you start your career, you start looking for the one. And uh, the one is going to be your soulmate, um, your life partner, your uh, spouse. And you start moving up the career ladder and uh, eventually marry that person. You settle into a home that is for the two of you, you make more money, you eventually make children, you enter into that stage of raising them to do the same kinds of things and make have meaningful experiences with community alongside it. And then, you know, come the golden years, and then etc, 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 retirement, etc. So I definitely felt like um, and so there's a lot of so so this sort of like ideal life that we've been pitched is um, one something that most people something that a is is not even really desirable in itself. It's not a better way of life than all other ways of life. It is specifically like you know American life that um, has been really formed by. Uh, people who have power and influence who uh, w want that for us for a range of reasons. Um, and there are so many ways to live a life. And so I think the, the way that that starts to um, really throw us and make us feel a sense of loss and sadness is if we don't find the one – 
we feel like something's wrong with us and we feel like we're going to be lonely forever because we were told that the primary form of intimacy we were going to find was in that romantic relationship that was likely going to last for the rest of our lives or at least until Mm -hmm. both of us were like into our late 80s. (laughs) And then if we don't find that, we feel this sense of, yeah, something's wrong with us. Um, If we... uh, can't find a, a job or, you know, in, in a way that's like tied with meaning making and climbing up a sort of ladder of some sort. I think mm-hmm. like it could be in like corporate America. It could also be a ministry job that's also mm-hmm. tied with like moving up in influence and meaning making and kingdom work. And But all of these are on a trajectory of moving upward mm-hmm. uh, towards some ideal state that is defined by our communities. And very little of that, I think, um, has to do with what makes any of our lives worth living, which is (laughs) actually being present to the human beings around us and loving them and loving living in this moment and loving the lives we have. Mm -hmm. And it keeps us in this state of constantly feeling deficiency and a desire for more uh, where we really generally, if our, if our basic needs for survival are being met, which when they're not is a much bigger problem and that is also not that person's fault, that is our society's fault. Uh, but when we're in a situation where our basic needs are being met, we generally do have enough and so I think I think what this leads to as well is this sense of um, if, if there's this one right life that I need to be living and this one right path that I need to be on, generally speaking, with some small variations, mm-hmm. uh, then a lot of fear over making wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. So what if I... Um, went to the wrong college and therefore majored in the wrong thing and didn't get into the job track that would lead to a fulfilling life? Or what if I marry the wrong person? Or what if I went into this uh, work that kept me from marrying the right person and now I'm not going to be happy because I didn't get to meet the one? Like there's this constant – and in reality, gosh, most people's lives aren't aren't matching that quote unquote ideal. And then if you, even if it does, you get divorced and you're fine. You have a big, full, beautiful life and you build new communities and you find new forms of love. And let's even say you don't like children die and pass away. And then you have like, life is going to be full of sad and hard and life is going to be full of possibility. And that is true no matter what, path you're on and what sort of immediate life you're living. And I think that we are all, we all suffer when we're left, when we're made to feel a sort of lack because we might be missing the ideal when the ideal was made up all along. And it was a cultural norm and not an actual factual truth of like the universe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking that um, there there's a way that we are socialized into thinking about time 
and sort of the conventional uh, law, you know, way of thinking about it <laughs> that's given to us is sort of predicated on a few things. Um, and this will, you know, come as no surprise, but I would say it's related to uh, being, in, at least in the United States, um, being white, being cisgender, being heterosexual, being college educated, and uh, is not um, connected, you know, to the potential that a person is working class or poor or disabled or, um, you know, neurodiverse for that matter. And because these are all the ideas that that, like, conventional time is uh, predicated around it, all, all of the milestones for life, um, are not actually accessible to a lot of people. Um, and even if they are accessible, like who's to say that <laughs> what I'm hearing in your reflection is even desirable. Yeah. And, um, if like adulthood is only, uh, wrapped up in getting, quote-unquote, real jobs, uh, purchasing property, being married, having children. Um, <laughs> how, like, how much of adulthood, uh, like, the, I guess what I'm saying is that that cannot be all there is to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that so much of our angst uh, as queer people can be related to this, the conflation between all those things, you know, just described and maturity, that somehow we are not, um, yeah, like good or right or um, acceptable because we are not on this same timeline, the same trajectory, even though that trajectory was never intended to include us. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's sort of a, a big thought I have from what you've shared. And then the second piece of this that kind of came to mind to me as you were talking was um, this idea of wrong decision-making um, mirrors all of the anti-trans legislation right now mm -hmm. that is um, being written against gender-affirming care for young people. Mm -hmm. And so they use the language of drastic, irreversible, irreversible, massive life decisions. Um, at all, like that, all of it is written ar around um, denying trans kids uh, mm -hmm. access to uh, support and affirming care. And, you know, set aside the fact that gender-affirming care for minors, <laughs> in most cases, is social, meaning mm -hmm. it is centered around things like calling a young person by their name, mm -hmm. using the pronouns they ask for. Very reversible. Yes. Within the way an hour can yes. be reversed. Yes. Um, <laughs> like being able to uh, pursue a hobby you know, that they want to pursue, um, to use a public <laughs> restroom. Like mm -hmm. these are 
these this is mostly what gender affirming care is for minors put but again put that aside um all of this language assumes exactly what you've mentioned and that there are irreparably wrong decisions that people can make meaning that there is one inherently right way you know a set of right decisions you should you should be making and Again, what are those right decisions? They are all predicated in the U.S. around being as close to white, cis, heterosexual, and college-educated as you can possibly be. Yeah. And wealthy, affluent. Like, that is... um, And I would like to add... Uh, uh, to your point, l- so let's take uh, something like gender-affirming care. Um, even for people who, let's say, start taking hormones or suppressing hormones, um, th- like whatever you learn from that experience and whatever that means for you and your process of becoming is – part of it's part of your growth Mm -hmm. and there's nothing that can be wrong with that like you'll see a lot of people a lot of people will uh transition and then uh share that after transitioning they realize that there was a maybe they were more non-binary and so they wanted to start going by slightly different name and maybe like changed the nature of their hormones. And that was part of their process. It wasn't that they were wrong about being about their gender experience. It's just, Mm -hmm. this is part of what it means to be in the process of becoming just like a woman might go on birth control pills and that does things to her hormones that make her feel like not herself anymore and therefore change them or rein them in or pull them back. And those, all of these things, like for a woman to do that with birth control, we think is just totally fine NBD when really like it's a big decision. Just Mm -hmm. like, you know, transitioning um, in any capacity with one's gender is a big decision. And also it's all information and it's all part of our becomings. And none of it is wrong or bad or irreversible. It's just being a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think some people would say, like, even with uh, surgery, for example, um, that that is kind of what they have in mind when they're thinking of irreversible. What like people do not know anything about hormones in general. I would like. I just want to say that like <laughs> there is so much misinformation uh-huh. about. Uh, hormone replacement therapy in particular. Now, I will also say there are wonderful resources that exist to get people information about hormones, um, but for the most part, I would say the like popular level of hormones is just like riddled with misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, so it's, when it comes to surgery, that's even more intensified, right? People don't really understand like what's going on with surgery and like how it happens and why it happens. And then they also get obsessed um, with information about it, especially as it relates 
uh, to trans and gender nonconforming people. And so I think I really want to like reiterate a point you made, though, and that is no matter what decisions a person is making about their life and their body, uh, there is there's something something so, like such a misnomer about the term like uh, detransition to me in this way, because I think we are all uh, living our lives and becoming, you know, like you said, and even if you have to make different decisions than you once made, um, that it's really not about like, quote, going back um, so much as it is like continuing like to grow and to find yourself and you know to again if we're talking specifically about gender and gender expression um finding what it means for you um to to have a gender if you do even have a gender you know and and then to inhabit that you know to express it and yeah i i think that all the so much of the language, I guess the word I'm looking for is like inflammatory. Like it is mm-hmm. used intentionally uh, to escalate uh, the consciousness around these topics and to um, drum up fear in mm-hmm. people, I, I would say as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that was my point with like birth control or mm-hmm. breast implants or I mean, there are all kinds of things or. Uh, when people take steroids to get bigger muscles. Like there's just all kinds of things that we don't question when they fit into gender norms that our society has put in place that, again, are rooted in uh, cis heterosexuality and patriarchy and also um, just untrue about what is a good life mm-hmm. or what it means to be right. And... Um, I think all of this thinking can help us take a big exhale and, uh, begin to go, wow, like who I am and where I am is just right for today. And the next step I take is going to be the next step I need to take. And there's no way to miss it. There's no way. I mean, okay. So let's put in the caveat, like don't commit homicide. If you're thinking about committing homicide, that is um, an unwise and unkind choice. We're setting aside things like abuse. Um, But in general, for most of us going about our day-to-day lives with so much anxiety about what to do with our days Mm -hmm. and what to do with our bodies, ourselves, our love, our longings, our relationships – I think just showing up to them with curiosity and humility and a sense of possibility and a gentleness mm-hmm. will really set us up to be living life in a way that's going to be the most generative and beautiful and in the end fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I think... I'm still kind of going back to, you know, this idea of, you know, wasted time or lost time um, in a way that uh, (laughs) it is tied to regret, too. You know, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are put in this position where they're having to make decisions based on, like, 
I, there, I, there's a term for this, like essentially making a decision um, so that you reduce the potential for regret. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very much how I had been making a lot of decisions throughout my life um, and was to basically avoid regret. That mm-hmm. was what I was consistently trying to do. And yet um, I'm sort of at this place where in my therapeutic journey, I'm able to look at the years that I spent at my evangelical university um, and the money I spent there as well. (sighs) That's a harder one. (laughs) um, As regretful. Mm. I I do regret those Mm -hmm. years. And and what I mean by that is um, I could have made a different choice. Um, at the time of, of needing to choose a college. And if I would have chosen a different college, it is likely that I would have been spared of the particular traumas I endured <laughs> during those years. Uh, and because I think I would have been spared of those traumas, there's a way, there was, I, I personally believe I could have been using my time, um, not in accordance with like a better or like right decision, but one that would not have been as detrimental to me. Um, Now, I say that I regret those years and um, I was learning, you know, and I was making the decisions that I was making based on the information that I had at the time. And I was completely earnest um, through you know, that part of my life. There was nothing insincere about what I believed and then the actions that were associated with those beliefs. And so when I say regret, like, I don't, I don't actually think it was a waste. I just think I could have spent that time differently than how I spent it. And Mm -hmm. it would have led to, I believe, a more generative outcome. You know, here I'm 31 years old, and at 31 years old, I am really uh, exploring um, my capacity for creativity and innovation in a way uh, that I have not done since my childhood, and mm-hmm. that's because of the way that that was stifled um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the specific evangelical communities that I was a part of. So... Um, yeah, I, I, again, I guess we're just kind of like in this tension of uh, recognizing that thinking about certain times in our life as wasteful or lost uh, can be helpful. And at other times, like it, you know, reinforces uh, this mythical notion of um, what time is and how we should or quote unquote should be spending it. Uh, so, okay. So I, I agree. And I think this is where the question of like abusive systems and let's call it harmful. It's a little bit of a broader umbrella, which abuse also fits into, uh, harmful systems. I'm thinking of two instances in my life, um, and around the question of regret, I'll tell two brief stories. And one was in a harmful system 
and one was not. And so I think regret uh, can look different depending on those things and be beneficial in different ways depending on those things. So the first uh, one regret, like literal actual regret that I have in my life is that I came out when I was 16 and still living in my family's home. This is why I have such a bone to pick with like national coming out day. It gets better because for a lot of people, it absolutely does not get better. And Mm -hmm. a person knows whether or not it's safe or not. And I had some adult figures in my life who basically told me I needed to, much like we're seeing with uh, various bills saying that it needs to be reported by schools to parents (laughs) um, because parents know best and they don't. They, Mm -hmm. in some situations like mine, my mom took me to conversion therapy and then I was so young and malleable that I went into an alternate universe where I did not necessarily have access to... um, information that could have saved me from years that were really harmful that I've had to spend a lot of time unlearning and healing from. So that is a legitimate regret. And it, it was largely because of a harmful um, community that I was in. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonates with what you're sharing. Like yes. there was actual loss there. Like things were taken from us and yeah. that is to be lamented. Now, let's fast forward many, many years. A, like, healthy, safer Julie uh, married a healthy, safe Amanda. And we spent five or six years together. And we got married. And it was, there were ways that we grew so much. And there were ways that we loved and in deeper ways than we ever had before. And ways we were realizing that wasn't. Ultimately, like we didn't ultimately want to share life in that way forever, that Mm. that was for a season in our lives. And so we separated. And after that, I remember um, some of, of our friends went over to our house and while we were gone, like to help Amanda grieve, um, took out all of the photos of our wedding and stuff and like various like shared you know sort of relationship wedding things mm-hmm. took them out to to put them in the trash oh and to like help her heal it was like get rid of all this stuff that reminds you of that part of your relationship and amanda got home and was like what the ever living <laughs> fuck <laughs> Like, <laughs> what? Like, no, we, we don't regret that. Yeah. We, yeah, it didn't. And this is, again, this is more of the, like, American dream framework of, like, if you are in a relationship that you, you choose to get married and, and settle down and live together and all of that, that it is a failure if it doesn't last the rest of your lives and therefore something that has gone wrong that you regret. And we were both, like... We no, Amanda had to go out to the trash and pull that stuff back in because she was like, this is beautiful. This is one of the most yes. beautiful things in my life. And this is one of the most healing experiences I've ever had. And so I think that those two stories kind of like bring into focus what we're talking about in this conversation of when we're in situations. That doesn't mean there wasn't hurt and pain. That doesn't mean we don't feel sadnesses. And there's a uh, significant difference between 
things that happen to us, choices that were made as a result of being in a harmful system that coerced us in various directions and choices we make as like healthy, safer adults Mm -hmm. that just don't fit into norms that we're told are the right ways to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the questions of lost years, lost time, wasted time and regret are worth interrogating more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm sorry that that (laughs) happened. It's such an example of what we're talking about though. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, wow. I'm, I was laughing, um, but also, you know, internally crying a little bit because I do think that so many people are socialized to, um, We can have a whole other episode about the idea of quote-unquote failed relationships. Oh, my God. Um, But (laughs) what is uh, kind of coming to mind for me now is um, that I'm just going to call it this kind of like heteronormative fantasy um, uh, of adulthood, right? Mm -hmm. And that... Um, oh gosh, that we should all be trying, even as like queer people, we should be trying to move toward, um, that version of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the, this concept of like queering time, mm-hmm. um, comes into play. And it's something that I would like ask to, uh, spend some time, mm-hmm. uh, talking about, because I think, um, it really offers a lot of uh, li- like liberatory ways of thinking about uh, where we are um, and how we relate to friendship, how we relate to family, how we relate to work, how we relate to land and to space. Like I think that there is so much possible for us if we are willing um, to kind of, you know, peel back the layers here and interrogate. Uh, Mm -hmm. what has made us feel like by this age I need to have done this this and this by this age um, this needs to be true of my life and and so on and so forth Um, when we start to ask those questions who is making me feel this way why do I need to feel this way then um, I don't know I really believe the windows and the doors swing open Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we can start building a futures for ourselves where where we do thrive um as queer people mm-hmm. so let's let's get into that um yeah i want to ask you a question yes um if the markers for coming of age are not um limited to going to college getting a quote-unquote real job um, partnering off, purchasing property, having reproduction, you know, like, what are they? What are some of the markers you think can exist for people, um, who are pursuing different trajectories, you know, for, uh, life and meaning making? What does it mean to come of age? So I'm glad you asked. Uh, this kind of makes me think about how stories work in general, Um, there's usually 
like it and we can we can question question whether story is like a valid framework but it is a different framework and it's worth putting in conversation with the capitalist one um in a story there are there is usually a main character and let's consider we are the main characters of our lives and the way the story works, what draws readers in is that usually there is a, a crisis that they're trying to resolve to some degree. And throughout it, there are, in every chapter, many crises, many crises that are resolved or not resolved. And over time you see these central themes coming back up and it's going to be different for each different story because each person's life is different. And the way that a book sort of like the climax is like ultimately like, is that resolved or not? And you feel like it was a, a happy story or tragedy based on whether or not that was resolved. Mm -hmm. There's also questions about desire. There's a lot of different like, possibilities but that general framework resonates with people because there's something true to it and I think we do all have based on who we are our makeup and uh, the the context that we've come from we all have some various themes that come up in our lives and so one for me was the process of like individuation like the the process of uh differentiation like allowing myself to be honest with myself honest with other people and come to a place of acceptance and belovedness even when that is displeasing to other people in my life who I'm very close to who matter to me and that crisis started when I was very young for a lot of obvious reasons <laughs> and it has played out in every work context of my life. It's mm -hmm. created most of the anxiety that I face. It's played out in my relationships, my communication styles, literally everything. So I think like for me, when I look back on my life of like coming, what is coming of age look like? What has maturity looked like? What has growth meant? That would be a key theme among many others, but like it's one key theme that I can look at to say that time when I stepped, when I decided to leave, uh, to speak out against Exodus, that time when I decided to tell my mom this, that time, honestly, when I decided to separate with Amanda, that time mm. that I came up publicly as affirming and left Wheaton, like these are some obviously big ones, and then there's also some more micro personal ones, but those are all signposts to me of, yes. of growth and a becoming that's healthy, that's toward wholeness, yes. that is toward um, more peace, more rest, more wholeness, which allows me to then show up to other people in my life as a more kind, loving, generous presence that uh, is an energizing source for them to be able to go through growth and wholeness and all that. So... I think that there's like an example of that's going to look different for everybody of what it looks like to, I think the question is like, we're not trying to get toward affluence, comfort, uh, a life that looks 
like the lives that we've been told are the right ones. We are trying to get toward wholeness. We're trying to get toward greater, like more of a sense of, of health. And we're trying to create spaces of love and abundance for other people to be more of their whole selves, to ultimately know that they're really loved. And so it's just a totally different outcome, totally different aim. And the, uh, the coming of age process into that is going to look very different than the American dream. Yes. Yeah. I think it's so ironic that um, the institutions and the people who are so obsessed with expediting uh, our lives in a way that puts us on their way of thinking about time and how they want to uh, chronologically like move through the world um, are the very ones who also totally um, stigmatize aging. Right. So they like want us like hurry up and grow up, hurry up and yeah, go to college, uh, get a job, get married, like buy a home, have children. And then they want to um, shame people for getting older. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, well, I think that's where capitalism and ableism <laughs> and all that comes in. Right. Yeah. It's like all about being useful. It's not all about it, but it's a significant, a big part of it is about being useful uh workers and people who can um contribute quote unquote to society in a way that isn't about love and isn't about kindness and wisdom and generosity but it's about producing and that is just a that is a wrong goal that i'm gonna come out in a black and white thing and say this is (laughs) wrong and that's why then we were like um treat our aging community like they're disposable because in that framework they they are Right. In that framework, which is flawed and yes. sinful. Yes. Uh, woof. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's my hot take on it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I had, I'll, I'll share a short story, uh, an experience um, with a small group of people uh, who were lamenting about um, getting older and what that meant um, for their bodies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will say that this group was majority white, cis, heterosexual women. Mm. Um, and I would say that most of them were in their 30s and 40s. And this is also big with white, cis, gay men, or yes. cis gay men in general, too, I think. And and there was another person in the group who spoke up who was not um, of that social location. And, and she very uh, gently shared that for her as a child, uh, she had a, a brother um, who was killed. And then within years of that, her father also passed away, both of those very early deaths comparatively. And that sort of set her up to be able to look at life in a way where it's not promised, mm. um, that it, it's a gift. Mm. And to me, it was not lost on me that this was uh, a person of color speaking, because I do think that for communities of color and for queer and trans people, there is uh, this lineage of unjust early deaths. Mm. And, and I think that really does... Um, change sort of the way that you think about 
uh, time. You think like think about what it means like to be present on <laughs> on this planet and uh, how to really make the most of that. And it, it's it really resists, I think, and, and challenges this notion of um, the that we're talking about here, conventional time and what we should be doing and moving toward and so forth. And yeah, I just wanted to share that because I do think that it's really shaped how I've, I've oriented to time throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, I mean, to this day, I still have people in my life who look at, uh, my experiences uh, as like moving toward, like I should be moving toward marriage. I should be moving mm -hmm. toward building this sort of conventional family, having kids, um, having owning a home and whatnot. And I'm just like, y'all, I have never been on this. Like, <laughs> lolol. This is not, and it's not just because like it was. It, it seemed so inaccessible to me as a child. Like, I've just been never dreaming, fantasizing, picturing um, that type of road for myself. And and not as... And I think some people might see that as pathological, right? Like, they mm -hmm. see that as, like, a function of a society that told me that those things, like, were not going to be for me. But I don't know if that is necessarily true. Like, mm -hmm. I think at least what I'm hearing in some of your reflections and I think I share in my own like orientation to these topics is that like, I think that way is broken. Yeah. Like I think that how we are socialized um, to sort of frame, you know, time and wasting it and making the most of it uh, is not a, a healthy worldview. It is not a generative ethic. And if we are going to be people who are able um, not just to continue to survive, but to thrive, like we have to find a different way of doing this and, and mm -hmm. thinking about these topics and finding um, meaning making outside of, of conventional uh, time. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing I think I, you're right. And I think it's going to I think it's important to note as we're sadly probably kind of winding down I think it's really important to say that this is not the dominant framework it's not the dominant beliefs of the communities the culture that we live in and so it is going to lead to various kinds of suffering that aren't the result of, or various challenges that aren't the result of you, the person having the wrong values, but the result of living in a society with, with flawed or, or questionable values. And so, mm -hmm. for instance, if you do make choices that just say, like, I'm not meant to go to college, I'm not meant to do that internship path, I'm not meant to be on that career path, one will likely have to experience a different kind of hard because our society is set up to reward that yes. specific process. Yes. If one is like, I am not going to, I'm not wired for marriage. I'm not wired for that monogamous uh, partnership, shared overlapping life. It, 
it is wrong that that is the path that most that our society is saying is the primary way of finding love and belonging. And that is how people are structuring their lives, very focused around the nuclear family. So I think it's going to be really important to know that this doesn't mean that like this, those challenges will still come as a result of living in that society. And it's important to be prepared for that and also be willing to accept the, those challenges and to find smaller communities of people who share those values Mm -hmm. so that then there is that sense of chosen family among friendship to where you're not alone because you didn't take that path to marriage and, you know, in a meshed life Mm -hmm. and you have, or maybe even such a, a tight knit, you know, community that you're sharing finances in a way that honors your choice not to do the, American dream path, like whatever it might be, it's going to be really important to find people who share your orientation so that, um, because we aren't meant to go it alone and to just be like, Oh, I'm going to be countercultural and not live into this dominant narrative, uh, will lead to suffering if, if you're not able to, to do that in community to some degree. Right. Yes. I think that is a wonderful place to land this plane. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there it's there is a cost, right, to be, mm-hmm. to being willing to interrogate. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And um, what are the outcomes? Um, but I'm going to wager that that cost um, is always worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's it it creates for a more um, healthy and whole life. And that's what I'm trying to move toward. Mm-hmm. Samesies. <laughs> <laughs> Big samesies, Miles. Um, as always, uh, this was a very nourishing conversation. Yes. I'm looking forward to the spinoffs that will inevitably result from this one. Yes. Me too. Um, uh, I've been writing things down. I've been taking notes. <laughs> I am excited for the next chat. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for bringing yourself here and all of your wisdom and just being you. And thank you everybody for listening and being interested in these conversations because it also means we have little micro communities here. Yes. Here, here. All right. Bye. Bye, Miles. Bye, everyone.